three. Good! You can't be serious with that shot. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. What's happening, everybody? Welcome in to the Just College Hoops Show. I'm Brian McLaughlin, joined by Tim Leonard. We're here to talk all things bracket and kind of sum up the last couple of days of this NCAA tournament after we jumped on following Thursday and Friday. And Tim, I just have to start by saying I had a great bracket through two days. I have one Final Four team left and two Elite Eight teams left. I have seen my bracket go absolutely up in flames over Saturday and Sunday. I'm not sure about you, but but this has been an absolute mess the last two days for me. Uh, I'll one-up you. I think my bracket is worse than you, and the reason why I say that is I don't even know how many Final Four teams I have left <laughs> or Elite Eight teams. I, I'm done checking it. It's ripped up. It's in the garbage next to the fridge. I I did the thing where I, I wrote it down by pen, and I was trying to be diligent and cross it out with you know Sharpie or highlighters or just have fun with it, and I kept it up on my fridge. And then, you know, after about maybe Saturday afternoon, I was like, screw this. I'm, I'm not winning any money off of this stupid thing. So I threw it in the trash. <laughs> I've I've never had a bracket that started so well that unraveled so quickly. I know I missed on Arizona early. They were in my national title game. But like we talked about, I felt really good that I, I went 26 of 32 in that opening weekend. Yeah, that's Let's strong. Say, look at my West region right here. This, this one right here. All yellow. I got every pick right day one. Wow. I've not gotten a pick right since. <laughs> All X's. You got it Houston, a, it looks like. Yeah, Houston so looks I, out I have there. Houston in the Midwest. Houston's my one my one Final Four team remaining. But I miss on – I had Indiana, Pitt, and Penn State moving on in that region. They all lose. Then in the West, I had Kansas, Arkansas, St. Mary's, UConn, TCU, Gonzaga, Northwestern, Illinois. Perfect day one that I miss on Kansas. I miss on St. Mary's. I miss on TCU, and I miss on Northwestern. It was ridiculous the last couple of days to watch this thing. I mean, every every team that I was rooting for lost. It was really hard to fathom. Um, and really, the only one I was emotionally tied to was Penn State. But other than that, man, it has just been straight chaos. And now I, I you and I need to talk about what we're rooting for the rest of the tournament at some point. Because I need to try to figure out what I should be trying to watch for now with really nothing in a bracket left. Yeah, it is sort of an interesting mix of teams that are left now. And I think we can get into what styles are winning throughout this tournament, because to me, I'm seeing a lot of teams that are mucking it up, defense first, playing physical. And it feels like the refs, it depends game to game, but it feels like, for instance, that Tennessee Duke game, the refs just let them play, right? And Tennessee was able to play at the tempo and the style that they wanted, and they sort of gave Duke a punch, they punched back, and then... It was kind of like a prize fight and and looked like a football game. And there's been all those types of jokes about it, but it was really physical. And there's been some of these teams that are still left. I think of the likes of Houston, even a Michigan state that is a very physical team and a, a defensive first team. Really, it's a lot of those teams that are still remaining. And then the other thing that's sort of interesting, it's been talked about a lot, 
not a ton of the big brands are still standing here. You don't have Kansas. You don't have any Blue Bloods, Kentucky, Duke, UNC, Villanova, of course, didn't make it. I know UNC didn't make it to begin with, but it really the biggest brands left are probably Michigan State, UCLA. I think UConn is a pretty big basketball brand. They're going to travel well to wherever their games are, but it's not a ton of, you know, quote unquote, basketball schools and big time brands left, which is another sort of interesting wrinkle, especially compared to last year. Remember, last year was all big brands in the final four. I'm really excited to to have some of these newer powerhouses in this thing this year, which is a ton of fun. I love the Kansas State team. I love Jerome Tang as I think one of the rising coaches in, in the sport. So it's really fun for both people who have been like us. You and I have been watching this season really since November 1st. We've, we've gotten to know these teams. We kind of know some of these teams that are still left that are really good. We know that UConn's a good team. We know how good Texas is. Um, we, we know the likes of, say, Creighton. But the casual college basketball fan might not be so familiar with some of those programs just because they haven't been as locked in since day one. And so I'm really excited for a lot of fans out there to get to meet some of these stars. Um, my favorite moment from the last couple of days was Marquise Noel and his performance yeah. for Kansas State. I, I thought it was just electrifying. Um, I tweeted it was perfect that he was paired up with Ian Eagle because at one point Ian – just described his passing as delivering banger after banger. And I was like, I am, I am, that's you too, my man. You're delivering banger after banger right there with them. So that to me was the performance of Saturday and Sunday, Marquise Noel in Kansas State. Um, he kind of won my heart over as a, a five foot eight point guard that says, at my best, I'm five seven on a good day. So that that's the type of stuff that just is a pure March story. But the physicality, you're right. You're watching some of these games. And it's almost like I, I thought this when watching Michigan State. They're basically saying, call 18 fouls on us this half. I dare you. Because that's really what they're playing. They're they're fouling a lot, and they're basically daring the referees to make those calls. So I think it, it's going to come down to teams with depth, teams that can execute against that down the stretch, um, and teams that are able to get a lead with about five minutes to go, I think are going to have lots of success in these Sweet 16 games. Yeah, the top five teams in terms of Ken Palm defensive efficiency are all still standing right now. That's wow. Tennessee, UCLA, Alabama, Houston, and San Diego State, who is going to play Alabama. And we can maybe at some point later in the week or today discuss some of these matchups. But I think San Diego State has a decent shot against Alabama just because of, and again, it depends on how the refs are going to call the game. But if they call it like they called the Tennessee game, like if Tennessee gets the right crews, from here on out, they can make the final four. I mean, if they're going to play at that style and that style is going to be allowed, then they're going to be the best of the bunch probably because they're so used to playing in that ugly type of cage match style. And then you look at, okay, some of the teams that are offensive minded, Gonzaga is still standing. They're the number one offense on Ken Palm. Outside of that, Baylor knocked out, had the number two offense entering the tournament. Iowa has been knocked out. Mizzou has been knocked out, an offensive-minded team. Arizona, Purdue, two offensive-minded teams knocked out. Your Penn State Nittany Lions, I, I think, a little more offensively skewed. They're 13th in offense on Kempom, knocked out. West Virginia knocked out as well, another offensive-minded team. That's not a, a perfect scenario. I, I would throw Marquette as another team that's probably a little more offensive-minded. For sure. It's been knocked out. I mean, there's still Xavier standing as an offensive-minded team. I mentioned Gonzaga. Miami's a good offensive team. They're still standing. Yeah. But I think Miami also qualifies 
as a team that fits stylistically with what is winning out here. And they're a strong, hard-nosed, physical, go-grab-the-rebound type of team, experienced guard. So that's winning. And and Miami and Houston is going to be another fascinating matchup because that's two teams that have kind of that same rebound athletes, experienced guard type of vibe to them. At some point, the referees are going to have to, I think, get some control over some of that physicality because there were a few games where I was just – it didn't look all that familiar. It was really just I, – I, in particular, I thought that the Kentucky game today was – or yesterday was just watching Oscar Shibway go get some of those rebounds. Sometimes he was mauling people and other times people were mauling him. And so at a certain point, the referees, I think, are going to have to – try to figure out how to just maintain a certain level of overall composure and control in these games, because I don't think they've gotten over the top in intensity and in emotion. We haven't seen anybody with any major altercations, but at a certain point you don't want to be calling so many fouls and big spots. You want to be able to let the teams play, but you worry about letting them play and then things are getting really overly physical it's a hard line to walk for these referees, but they're going to have to manage it because of how this thing has been officiated so far. I look at a team like Arkansas, too, who are just a lot of really athletic players, not the prettiest style, but they have a guy in Debo Davis that can go get them a basket, both from three and around the rim, filled up then with good long defenders and long rebounders. They, to me, are a team that... um And the SEC as a whole has had a successful tournament, but Arkansas to me is a team that have impressed me a lot. And um, I think it was Barstool Big Cat who who said that um, Muss might be the Mr. March in waiting behind Izzo. I I got a real big chuckle out of that one. It it is something that's becoming a trend though. Muss is figuring out again in March and real credit goes to him. And he talked about how his team is still improving right now. That's not easy to do for a coaching staff to have your team still be getting better this time of year. Um, it's going to be that's going to be a matchup I might be watching as close as any. Arkansas and UConn is one that I'm really excited for coming up uh, coming up over these next couple of days. UConn looks outrageously good right now, and in a yeah. tournament where there has not been a lot of bigs that have quote unquote inserted their dominance. I mean, I think Zach Eady knocked out early. Um, there have been a couple other instances, even Trace Jackson Davis. I know his stats look good, but he didn't touch the basketball much in the first 10 minutes. And it's sort of become a narrative that, okay, this is proving again, you need guards, you need a guard oriented team, or if, if at the very least a big, and then guys that can get him the basketball. And, you know, Drew Timmy has been able to get the basketball into big spots. I was thinking about that, watching the Gonzaga TCU game last night. For whatever reason, Gonzaga is so good at getting the ball to Timmy when they need a big bucket, right? And they're yep. somehow they just figure it out. Whereas I watched a lot of UNC this year, and it's like, get it to Armando Baycott. And so many fans can relate to that experience of I just want my big to touch the basketball more, and they're not getting to touch the basketball. Derek Lively, no, he's not been an offensive guy throughout the season. He, he didn't attempt a single shot in that Arkansas game or Tennessee game, rather. So it's it's interesting how some bigs like uh, for UConn, uh, Sonogo is is really just feasting in this tournament. And outside of that, I mean, he's probably been the player of the tournament so far because of the so. numbers he's putting up. Shibwe has put up big numbers, too, and that was expected. But there's been other instances where it's like 
proof again that you can't really run through a big, and that's probably why the Big Ten has been tripped up a little bit. But I will say Michigan State was one of those teams that at least I had on my underrated list when we talked about them right in the beginning of March. They were a team that they do have a couple of bigs that you're not necessarily throwing the ball into, but they've got about three of them that all have size. And to me, when we've talked about foul trouble and there have been enough injuries now in game in this tournament, I'm looking at teams that have depth right now. To me, depth is going to be very vital going forward because you're going to have games with foul trouble. You're going to have maybe an injury. We've seen lots of tweaked ankles for whatever reason throughout this tournament so far. So I like the depth that Sparty has and I like them. Um, Whenever they've got Izzo, I, I like them to to at least put themselves in a shot based on game planning. It's going to be a fascinating matchup with, with Marquise Noel and that Kansas State team because Noel is so different than anybody else remaining in this tournament. Tim, I, I would like to move on a little bit. I'm curious who your national champion favorite is just overall. And then I'm going to pull up the odds of what Vegas, our friends in the desert yeah. have, of just to look at who they've got right now as the national champion. Who right now, we've got 16 teams left. Where where are you looking? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a lot of different teams. Honestly, it's, it's tough to decide. I think Alabama has to be brought up in the conversation at this point. Just because you were talking about the, the depth aspect. Yeah. And I think that is a huge key. And, and when you said that, I thought of UConn. And then I thought of Alabama as well. Because, you know, they've got a guy, Nick Pringle. He scored 19 points and 15 rebounds in the first round game against a 16 seed. The second game, he played two minutes. So that just speaks <laughs> to how much Alabama has options, right? I know Brandon Miller hasn't been quite himself, but it really hasn't mattered because they do have experienced guards. They have athletes all over the court that they can throw at you. So they're kind of fitting into this mold of the type of teams that we're describing that have been succeeding. They're not totally bully ball, but, you know, they've gone against the likes of Tennessee and and in the SEC, they've gone against some of those teams this year. So they can match that style and then they can also play quick and they can get into their sets and they run really good stuff on the offensive end around Nate Oates. So to me, them, they probably stand out. I'm guessing they're the favorites on Vegas because when you couple just how good they are with the fact that, you know, they draw San Diego State, a team that they should be decent favorites over. Then they're either playing Creighton or Princeton. I see them as kind of not a lock because you can never say that in March, but I view them as the team that is maybe most likely to still be standing come Houston in Final Four weekend. Before I totally go down the list of the the NCAA tournament actual odds and where Vegas has the leaders, to me, Houston still has to be in the conversation. Yeah, They are, to me, they've been the most balanced team all year. Am I nervous about just how Marcus Sasser's looked a little bit for sure. Um, And overall, they have not exactly been a team that's been easy to watch. Although that second half against Auburn, where they were able to kind of separate themselves was okay. That relaxed me a little bit around Houston, um, but it's not going to be easy against Miami. Right. And you do have to look at paths remaining a little bit. I'm still looking at Texas looming in the Houston bracket. I just watched Texas beat Penn state and Texas did it basically without making a three. Talk about mucking it up. They were able to get it done against a high-level offensive team. They were able to do it without the three-point shot. Now, that's in a big part because the game plan was to pound it inside with Dessou uh, 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 against the Penn State team that don't have a big. They were able to do that. And do I think that 
Marcus Carr and Serge Jabari Rice are going to hit some threes in big games. I do. I would have Texas in that list as well. It's just tough that they are in that same region as Houston. I feel like you want to pick one of those two, but it's hard for me to really pull the trigger on either of them when they're with each other. So I do think Bama have to probably be that favorite right now. So let's take a take a look at these these title odds. Bama yeah. is the overall favorite at plus 300. Then you're looking at Houston at plus 400. Then you go all the way down to UConn and UCLA. All right, up next, UConn is plus 800. UCLA is plus 950. Some decent value there, I think, on UCLA at plus 950. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they got Gonzaga in the next game. Yeah. The only thing with UCLA that we don't really know as of us recording right now is the status of Singleton, their best shooter. and. Right. They had already lost Jalen Clark, and, and you you hit on this a little bit earlier. Injuries are definitely becoming a storyline in this tournament. I, I can't really remember another tournament where there's been this many quote-unquote injuries across the best groups of teams in this tournament. And even, you know, Tyler Kolek, I think of him, I think that played a factor for Marquette. He certainly did not look like himself. How much of that was just the moment and him drawing a lot of defensive attention and how much of it was his injury? I don't know if we exactly know, but I probably lean more towards it was injury than the yeah. moment for him. I, I mean, he's so been too. a guy that he, he's been great all year and he had six turnovers and just seven points in that Michigan State game. So unfortunately, injuries are a factor. And with UCLA, they're about as banged up as anyone right now. And so is Houston for that matter. But Sasser did have 22 points in the last game, which was good to see. Then you go to Gonzaga and Texas, both at plus 1,000. So is Creighton at plus 1,000. Then then some long shots. Tennessee at plus 1,500. Michigan State at plus 2,500. Kansas State at plus 2,900. And Xavier at plus 3,000. And then San Diego State, I think, would be maybe a little bit of value at plus 3,900. You go way down the board to them. Yeah. as Like you talked about, a team that... You never know with that defense, the way things have been officiated, the way this tournament has gone, maybe a flyer there and Miami at plus 5,500 would be another long shot that I would consider. Any of those really stand out to you as teams that maybe are undervalued a little bit right now that you could see going on a run? Because um, right now the East region is definitely the weakest, but do you really trust any of those teams out of the East? They're often kind of right now, those teams on that long shot portion of our list. Yeah, I mean, my ears perked up a little bit when you said Tennessee and the odds behind it. What would you say was their odds again for Tennessee? Tennessee are amongst the kind of middle of the pack teams at plus 1,500. 1,500, yeah. I, And the only reason I say that is, again, if the refs are going to let them play, they're just playing with a lot of confidence. I mean, that's a style that they know, and I get that the history of Rick Barnes is not great, but... I mean, he's he's definitely been there. These guys are experienced. They don't have Ziegler, which when you don't have your point guard, it's hard to imagine them actually winning the entire tournament. But to me, Tennessee is almost as likely as anyone to be there in the final four because I view them as getting past FAU, and that's no disrespect to FAU. I think they're a great story, and that'll be an intriguing game. But I just think Tennessee's a little tougher and physical, and, and if they did it to Duke, they can do it to FAU. And then, you know, if they play Michigan State, that's just going to be a clash of two very physical teams. <laughs> sure is. If they play Kansas State, it's going to be a little bit of a different game. And I think that'll be really fascinating to see how Noel handles, you know, some of those great physical guards on the perimeter that Tennessee can throw at him. 
that's going to be a very interesting matchup. But Tennessee's odds, I think, are decent. When you consider they are a team that, that Ken Palm really loves, they are the number one defensive team in the country. I know they don't have Ziegler, but a lot of these guys are down a specific player or two that could really help them. So I think they have decent odds. I would also say Miami has decent odds from what For you sure. just read. Because I, I'm not going to pick it. I think Houston edges out Miami in that game, but I view that as a close game because Miami can play that type of style with Houston. And this is a Miami team that, they have a lot of the same guys that they had last year that went on that run. Laranig has been there. Their guards. I mean, they've just got a lot of guys that can break you down and make a play late in the shot clock. And that's a value that you need when you get into the elite eight and final four and that type of, and even already it's been very valuable for them. So I think their odds are definitely skewed. I don't necessarily view them as a pick to win it all, but that gets no. me thinking maybe I should be looking at them to make the final four or something. Right now, they are the second biggest long shot at plus 5,500. Only Princeton are bigger underdogs to win the national title right now. I, yeah, like I like you said, I get they're playing Houston, but that feels a little disrespectful to that group. I think especially with the way Houston has played so far, that's a winnable game for Miami. And then you're looking at either Xavier or Texas, two good teams. But again, I think potentially winnable games for them. To me, I would have them in that same class as, as a – Xavier of Michigan State and a Kansas State maybe in that kind yeah. of territory. But to, to talk about Tennessee, not only are they a great defensive team, but they're one of the few teams that made shots in this most yeah. recent round, Tim. At a certain point, you're gonna need some dudes to make some shots. And Kansas or excuse me, Tennessee might have had the most impressive overall win in the round of 32, beating a red-hot Duke team. They hold Duke to 6 of 22 from 3, while they go 9 of 21. Olivier Kamwa um, just had one of the performances of the tournament. What a second half that he was able to put together, putting in 27 points, um, barely missing a shot. He just kind of took over that game. We were both low on Tennessee coming into this tournament, but now it's shaping up as, as a pretty easy path for a team that fits the style of play in this tournament. And they've got hot shooters, which is a pretty good recipe when you put those three things together, even if you're missing your starting point guard. But they're not the only team that's banged up now. The, the, even, the playing field is flattened out for them a bit because, like you mentioned, other teams are banged up. This is a Tennessee crew that might be coming off the best win of the round of 32 and have the easiest path remaining. Hard to hard to go against that that little duo right there for a team that yeah. we'll see. Like you said, Rick Barnes hasn't won a lot in the tournament, but all it takes is one year to change that narrative. Yeah, I mean, that's what happened to Tony Bennett. Now it's kind of flipping sure. back the other way, but there's been plenty of coaches that have you know silenced that narrative in just one big year. I, I am very fascinated to see what happens from here for Tennessee. They they start four seniors, which is always a plus come this time of the year. And, and Duke starts four freshmen. So when you ask, you know, what happened in that game for Duke, it was definitely the, the style winning out and Tennessee dictating the game at a different style than Duke was used to. But it's also just experience versus inexperienced. And, you know, Kyle Filipowski a lot was made. I, I believe it was before the first round game. He was throwing up in the bathroom just out of nerves, which I mean, in a way, I kind of love that because that, <laughs> that shows how much you care. And I guess it's easy to make fun of that. But he he wasn't himself necessarily. And, and he was 
you know, punched from the opening play. So I don't really blame him for not being himself. But when they took him kind of out of the game, Lively wasn't a factor. It just felt like Tennessee was doing what they wanted and dictating the style they wanted in that game. And I thought it was interesting when John Shire went to a zone for a little bit. You mentioned Kumwa, who was not a factor throughout the season much. He was just a total zone buster for them. I think he made three threes right away when they switched to that zone. And that's just something Duke hasn't done throughout the year much. I get that they're probably trying to protect Jeremy Roach and his foul trouble. They were also probably, I mean, they were without Mark Mitchell already, who's arguably their best defender. That was a random injury right before the game, which had to rattle them. But I, I thought they kind of allowed Tennessee without a point guard to not have to make plays against the zone. And they could just sort of pass around and get to the the soft spots pretty easily. And that's not going to happen for Tennessee when they play Michigan State or Kansas State, assuming they're able to beat FAU. It is much harder to dictate the style of play against the Spartans and against the Wildcats. Those are two teams that play the game how they want to play it. Um, And that's always... Once we've gotten to this Sweet 16, right, we, we always talk about the matchups, but style of play becomes such a major A, it's a major talking point, but B, it really truly does decide how many points are going to be scored in these games by who. You can almost dictate that coming in from some of these coaching staffs, and, and that brings me to, to my game coming up of the Sweet 16 in Gonzaga-UCLA. We've talked about it a little bit already. Um, and UCLA are going through the injury bug like you already discussed him just as much as anybody. But kind of like you talked about before the tournament, they've still got Jaime Hawkes, they've still got Tiger Campbell, and those two guys are going to dictate how the game goes when they have the ball against the, the Gonzaga weaknesses, their defense. Then on the other side, UCLA have been a strong defensive team all year. How do they defend this Gonzaga attack? Drew Timmy is just going to get people in foul trouble. He generally does a decent job avoiding it. To me, that's the game I'm most excited for in the Sweet 16 because of the teams in it and because of the styles that they both employ. Yeah, and by the way, that is an exact rematch. I think it's going to be exactly to the day, 17 years ago, that it was Adam Morrison in that famous game where unfortunately it's known more for Adam Morrison crying after the game than anything in that Gonzaga-UCLA Sweet 16 game, uh, that's going to be talked about a lot, of course, in the broadcast. So get ready if you're a Gonzaga fan for that, because it's going to be a little bit too much, maybe. (laughs) I I did, I was getting a kick out of watching Gonzaga play TCU, because that could be a Big 12 preview down the road, right? I mean, there's a lot of chatter that Gonzaga could be going to the Big 12. BYU has already gone that way. And the St. Mary's head coach, Randy Bennett, had some interesting comments after they lost to UConn, he was asked just straight up if he's considering other options at this point in his career. And he's been there a while, been very successful. I'm sure he's had other calls and just has stayed put at St. Mary's. And instead of kind of the generic answer of, I'm really happy here, whatever, like I'm not thinking about that at this time. You know, there's so many ways to sort of diffuse that question. He basically sort of just opened up and said something like, I think in today's climate, you'd be foolish to not consider other options and you can't keep your head in the sand. And I think what he means by that is, and he sort of hinted at it, BYU has already left. Gonzaga is probably leaving. 
what's going to be left in the West Coast Conference? And he talked about how the Atlantic 10 is now a one-bid league, and it used to not be, and how that changes things for you, because it's all about the NCAA tournament. So that's something to keep in mind long-term. We've seen a couple of these. USC played Michigan State, which is somehow a, a Pac-12 preview because USC or a Pac-12, a, a Big Ten preview because USC is going to join the Big Ten. That one threw me for a loop, but it was good to see because there was some chatter this week about if Gonzaga went to the Big 12, what would that mean for them as a program? And I think you and I are probably in agreement here. I think they would still be successful. They might have to change their style a little and they maybe couldn't be as offensive minded because of how that league is played, but they were able to change their style against TCU and played very well. To me, it would be a shame if the Zags do go to the Big 12, not because yeah. um, not because of anything about the Big 12. I just like the West Coast Conference. It's a mid-major conference that I enjoy watching a lot from, like you said, BYU already on the way out. But you have San Francisco, who are usually a fun team. When, when teams like San Diego are ever competitive, like those are little gyms out on the West Coast that when those teams are good – they become very loud. They become intense fan bases um, and they enjoy challenging the likes of St. Mary's and Gonzaga. And so I, I would miss that a lot if the Zags were to leave, but should the big 12 just count Gonzaga and should they just count Houston? Like, should they just say, <laughs> yeah, those are our wins too. We're, we, we're not having that great of a tournament, but yeah. Houston and Gonzaga are still in it. We, we count them. That maybe right. saves the big 12. So I've, I've got the conference records, too, that I want to give you here, and, and I can dive into those now. The SEC and the Big East still have three teams remaining. Everyone else – well, actually, the Big 12 does have two teams, Texas and Kansas State. Everyone else yeah. after that has one team. So it's a pretty balanced uh, slate of Sweet 16 teams here. SEC is 9-4. and four. Big East is 7-2. and two. They're becoming kind of the new big winners here with Xavier, UConn, and Creighton still standing. Marquette got knocked out, but, you know, I think other than that, the Big East has had everyone sort of exceed expectations to this point. Big 10 is six and seven. Michigan State is their only hope now. And by the way, I mean, I think Michigan State could make the final four. That yeah. that wouldn't totally shock me. And, and that region, as we've talked about, is pretty light. ACC, they could make a national. It would shock me if Michigan State wins it all. Yeah. It, would shock, it would not shock me if they made it as far as the title game. Right. I, I think it, that to me is the peak for them. Yeah. So I think overall, it's another disappointing year for the Big Ten because they're yes. not going to squash that narrative. I think it's now two teams have made the second weekend in the last three years for that conference with the amount of bids they've had disappointing. I know if you're a Big Ten supporter, you're going to say, well, this year was not supposed to be a year yeah. where we had a national title winner anyway. And I guess just off of that, and you're a Big Ten guy, and I'm not like not from a standpoint of like put you on the spot, but I it it's fascinating to me how their style just isn't really translating to March because we talked about it earlier. What is translating this year? Physical style, and I, I view the Big Ten as a physical conference. I think the one part that you could say is you don't get a lot of ball pressure, you don't get a lot of full court presses in that league, and that exposed Purdue and a lot of these teams in the Big Ten just don't have the guard play to match some of these other leagues right now. And the team that plays the most physical defense in the Big Ten somehow missed the tournament in Rutgers. Rutgers yeah. is that team that brings that level of intensity, and I think Rutgers would have fit really well the way this tournament has gone. I still think it's a shame that they missed it. It's one of those years for the Big Ten where they definitely did not meet expectations, but it's not a total failure either. 
this is a rebuilding year for us as a conference next year <laughs> back and better than ever. <laughs> and then to finish up here, big 12 went eight and six so far, Texas, Kansas state remaining pac 12, just three and three and the mountain West is two and three with San Diego state leading the charge there. Shout out conference USA and the Ivy league for still having a team each in it. Um, it's not just the big boys that are left. And, I mean, shout out Princeton, man. How much fun have they been? That has been just a real joy to watch. Um, And somebody who watches a lot of Ivy League hoops, Princeton have been doing this all year. They didn't win in their conventional way game one with pretty offense. This most recent win for them was very much classic Princeton. They just got a lead and kept hitting shots. And they defend hard. They're playing with some real energy and um, kind of flew under the radar because of the great Fairleigh Dickinson story, but major shout out to the Princeton Tigers, man. I mean, just can't give them enough credit. I- I've had so much fun watching them. I, it's what's happening with these 15 seeds. I, I mean, that's three straight years now that they made the sweet 16 and it's becoming almost normal somehow. I, I got a theory. Yeah. I, I think it's all about the transfer portal and because of yeah. the COVID, the extra COVID year of eligibility, mid-major teams are older than ever and they're able to go out and get guys in the portal using their extra year. And so you're just seeing teams from that 13 through 16 lines that are to me better than ever. You've never seen potential Cinderella's play at this high of a level and it's proving that way in the tournament. Now we're not getting loads of upsets, but when you do get an upset or two, it is teams that are legitimately good. They are, they are just good teams. Princeton is a better 15 seed than we've ever seen. And I think that's why we're getting more 15 seed upsets than we have ever seen in recent years. I just think these mid-major teams at the top of these mid-major conferences are better than we've ever seen before. Yeah. I mean, Princeton just looked like the better team in both of those games. It wasn't like they had some fluky three point barrage or something. They out rebounded Mizzou 44 to 30. I'm not ruling them out against Creighton. Look for Princeton money line. (laughs) Princeton yeah. money line might be a real play in that game. Honestly, and and we'll see what it is. I haven't looked. Another narrative that I think is forming here that I think is interesting if you view the tournament as sort of a way to pick up some historical data and apply it to your bracket going forward. Ken Palm has been all over this, but there I'll just read the tweet that I have in front of me from him. He says in the 64 team era, there have been 36 teams to enter the tournament as a one or two seed that were not ranked and the Priest is in AP poll. They have combined for zero Final Fours, averaging fewer than two wins per tournament. The two teams that qualified this year were Purdue and Marquette. So I think what we're seeing is there's been a couple teams that exceeded expectations and went down early. The only exception to that rule has been Kansas State so far. They, they obviously were not thought of to be anything. They're still standing. There's also been some teams kind of the reverse that were preseason top 10, that struggled to get to this point. Arkansas, I don't know if they were actually preseason top 10, but they were definitely ranked. Uh, Creighton is a team that battled injuries for sure, but they were preseason top 10. They're still standing after a bumpy road. Even Kentucky, Michigan State. I would even throw Duke in that category. I know if it was a different matchup, I think Duke would still be standing. So that's just something to keep in mind when you're thinking about your bracket next year and beyond. It's an interesting note. I I hadn't really realized that until you said that. You're right. It is a lot of those preseason expectations now kind of bouncing back. Makes you think, what if the Tar Heels had gotten in the tournament? Would have been quite the sight to see. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
who knows with that UNC team this year, they, they were too frustrating, but that's what we said last year. And, and, and then the tournament happened. So that it's just amazing how one, one week in a tournament can really change things. Really can. And it, it will, by the time we're talking, who knows after a couple of games over Thursday and Friday, Tim, we might be maybe Texas and Kansas state both win and the big 12 is back or they both lose and the big 12 will be completely eviscerated it, it could totally change depending on just a couple of games, what we're talking about. And it's that time of the bracket now where everybody's going to overreact for these conferences to this point. To me, the big winners in this tournament overall are going to be the Big East. Um, and you're going to see Creighton as a heavy favorite and UConn will probably be favored again against Arkansas in their Sweet 16 game. So I think the Big East are, is a conference that have performed well. We've seen like you said, going through the records, the SEC has had a really solid performance. I think they have their headline win now in Arkansas over Kansas as a conference. That's one that they can kind of put their stamp of approval on. Although I will give a lot of credit to Kansas State. The, the Big 12 needed that win yeah. for Kansas State over Kentucky. And Marquise Noel was able to put put that conference on his five foot eight frame and carry them <laughs> on to the Sweet 16. Um, I'm rooting for Kansas State, I think, going forward because of Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel, Jerome Tang. Did you see did you see Jerome Tang dancing in the locker oh, room? Oh, so game? good. Yeah. Favorite clip that came out of this weekend. I'm I'm all in on Kansas State. Yeah, they've quickly become maybe my favorite team left in this tournament. As someone that doesn't have any reason to really be rooting for any specific teams, it's hard not to root for them. And Keontae Johnson wasn't really playing his normal game in that last game, but he still comes through with that step back three when they really needed oh, it. That's dirty. a story that I hope they keep advancing so that we can dive deeper into that story. And I know it's been talked about if you're a college basketball diehard, but I mean, his story to collapse on the court at Florida, come back after, you know, turning down money. It's an amazing story. And I, I'm just rooting so hard for Kansas State. They're they're an underdog as a three seed, which is rare to see, but they just play with a chip on their shoulder, which is awesome. I can't wait to be wrong again next week. It's going to be great to get back to have basketball on our TVs again. That's going to do it for this week's Just College Hoops show. Tim, thanks for jumping on this morning. This has been a blast. Oh, awesome time breaking down the bracket with you, man. And I'm, I'm totally with you. Can't wait to be wrong from here on out. <laughs> Keep listening, everybody. We appreciate you. Drop a review. Drop a five-star rating, we hope. We'll talk to you coming up later this week, previewing all the Sweet 16 and potential Elite Eight matchups. For Tim Leonard, I'm Brian McLaughlin. This has been another episode of the Just College Hoops Show.